Welcome to the New Books Network. And you read at the end, it talks about how Kapler converted to Catholicism, Yeah. right? And part of the reason that is, is for what O'Flaherty did, right? Yeah. It, it really, and it, this reminds me of the shooting that t- took place to JP2 and how he forgave, you know, his shooter that tried to assassinate him, right? Mm-hmm. The 80s. And John Paul used to visit him in prison, correct? <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. That guy has also converted to Catholicism. Art imitates life, and life imitates art. Today, Catholic writer and composer Jonathan Fessenden and I talk about two movies, one about Japanese Christians in the 17th century, Silence by Martin Scorsese, and one about the Nazi occupation of Rome in 1943, The Scarlet and the Black by Jerry London. Both beautiful, edifying, and fun on Almost Good Catholics. Welcome to Almost Good Catholics, a conversation about theology and apologetics. I'm your host, Chris Adinitz, and I get to ask interesting people who thought about the big questions to discuss what we know, how we know it, why we think we know it. If you'd like to join the conversation, please email almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com. Today, I'm talking to Jonathan Fessenden. He's a Catholic theology teacher in Utah. He holds an MA in theology and apologetics from Holy Apostles College and Seminary. He loves the Catholic Church and also science fiction and classical music and film music. He writes for Missio Dei, a journal that aims to include many Catholic perspectives, often in productive and edifying disagreement uh, from a variety of voices, from clerics, from laypeople, from theologians and academics and other writers, which is kind of the point of this show as well. Jonathan uh, composes music too, and I'll add a link for that below. And if it's okay with you, Jonathan, I'll add one of your compositions at the end of our talk. Sure. Yeah. Well, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. It's really great. It's a great intro. Thanks very much. Um, <laughs> I have a joke for you. This is a Jewish joke. The guy goes to his rabbi and says, Rabbi, um, I've, I've lost my faith. I don't believe in God anymore. And the rabbi says, oh, yeah? Well, uh, tell me about it. He's like, oh, it's, it's terrible. Um, I, it's tearing me apart. I can't sleep. I can't eat. I can't do anything. Um, what, what, what should I do? And the rabbi says, oh, well, in that case, you'll be just fine. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this is good. Yeah. Much better than what I would have done. (laughs) Um, So uh, the point today is to talk about two movies, The Scarlet and the Black from 1983, and more recently, Martin Scorsese's Silence from 2016. But before we jump into that, I wanted to ask you about two topics. The first one was about your article about prayer, which was back when we were reading Luke back in chapter nine, which is I think now over a month ago when we first started emailing. But then I, I saw that today in today's gospel, it's still it's still the same topic. And today Luke writes, um, beware that your hearts do not become drowsy from carousing and drunkenness and the anxieties of daily life. And that they that, that day catch you by surprise like a trap for that day will assault everyone who lives on the face of the earth and be vigilant at all times and pray that you have the strength to escape the tribulations that are imminent and stand before the son of man. So mm-hmm. would you tell us a bit what you said about prayer back then or, or what you've been thinking about it and um, uh, what guidance you have for, for the good people listening to your voice? Well, this is a, uh, a good question. Yeah. yeah. I mean, our prayer life, is, well, for one, is, is extremely important. 
I'm in constant prayer for one. What does that mean to me? Yeah. It means that, that mean? it means that I'm constantly thinking about God you know, throughout my day, things that I do, choices I make. I think this is prayer as well. You know, do I go to the uh, blessed sacrament? Yes. Quite often, you know, maybe I go in the evening times. Uh, it was really nice. The priest in my church gave me a key so I could actually oh, go. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I think I have until about 10 o'clock every night. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, he gave that to actually the whole, by the way, the whole church. He offered one day at mass, if anybody would like to uh, have a key for uh, after hours to pray for the Blessed Sacrament. He would uh, give that to them. I think the Blessed Sacrament is essential, essential to, um, especially the Catholic our Catholic life. Uh, we believe, at least we hope so, anyways. Right, that Jesus is present in the yeah. Eucharist. Um, I know this has been a big topic in talks like Bishop Barron's brought up. I think you may have mentioned it to me and other people, you know, 70% don't believe in this. Um, so I think my prayer life has to be centered on, you know, getting my faith stronger. I mean, you have to ascend to this. It was not always easy for me that I, I mean, for many years, I never even really gave that a lot of thought. But my prayer life, which came through a lot of even just you know doing the hail mary and mm-hmm. you i think a person has to find a little bit what what works for them to a degree too yeah i'm very i would say very marian i uh-huh. love the rosary i i keep the rosary on me i pray it on my way to, I, I did a tweet recently was that actually was did pretty good and was like hey um anybody pray the rosary in their car Mm-hmm. A bunch of people are like, yeah, yeah. Some people, of course, were like, ah, it's not the way I want to do it. And that, that's fine. I do that. I do, do that. you? I, yeah. It's my commute is about 22 minutes or something. So it's really quite perfect. And uh, I, then I have it in my pocket all day long. And yeah. I, I teach uh, uh, kids and sometimes they can be quite um, difficult. <laughs> so it's nice to have that in my pocket just to hold on to when I'm, you know, being clement and merciful with some uh, rowdy teenagers. Right. So the prayer life is like and i'm sure that i'm so glad to hear this i feel like yeah. i'm not alone here you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> i love praying it on my way to work sometimes mm-hmm. i i i rush out of bed in the morning jump in the shower and get to work in my mind i want to wake up 20 minutes earlier and pray okay mm-hmm. but i usually hit the snooze button <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so i kind of make up for it through the day and i and, you know i try to find my prayer life you know like i think the article one of the articles we're talking about with was pray without ceasing right mm-hmm. that's the one yep yep you don't i mean what did christ say that i have to back up to the article a little bit um yeah here, I, I have I have your article open in oh. another tab, and it, uh, Jesus says, And I tell you, asking you will receive, seeking you will find, knocking the door will be open to you, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks the door will be open. That's how yeah. you start. That's beautiful. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Well, but being persistent then, right? Yeah. I think I talk about just the persistence of, of our prayer life. You know, it's got me through so many difficult times or just any kind of discernment, any mm-hmm. kind of discernment, you know, purchases even, you know, should I be purchasing this? You know? <laughs> right. Is that's it? a good, that's a good season. One for this season. Of the 
between Thanksgiving and uh, Christmas. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah, and then there was um, the when I read your article, Prayer Without Ceasing, it was right after I had heard a sermon from Pope Francis, who was also uh, sort of speaking on this theme, and he just says, like, just say hello to God, you know? Yeah. Just say, just, of course, it's in Italian, so he says, just, you know, on your as you pass by a church, just say ciao. Ciao. Say ciao. <laughs> and I think of, um, speaking of movies, you know, Robert De Niro in uh, Bronx Tale, he always he always um, does the sign of the cross as he's driving his bus past, <laughs> past the church. And I've started doing that too. And my kids do that now that they see me because, like you said, the, there's the Eucharist is in the tabernacle and that is the real presence. It's, it's, it's funny you say that because it makes me think of something, you know, I, I dated a girl many years ago and her her father was very Catholic, and I was a very lukewarm Catholic at this time. And I always remember when he got in the car, he always did that, and I it really changed me forever. Like it makes sense, right, to be protected yeah. while you're driving down the road because that's really where a lot of accidents happen. Of course, driving. So I, I, I definitely do that. You know. Yeah. So um, I think of the Irish uh, guy in Braveheart who joins William Wallace <laughs> who's always talking to God you know mm-hmm. like he and even in a very comical way like oh the, you know the almighty says I'm I'll be fine but you guys are in trouble that sort of thing and he's just you know you know who I'm talking about that guy like it's my island that guy it's been a while for me since I I, it's, I haven't watched it for a while but I, I am kind of familiar with the character that would be a, a lovely habit to get into um uh, I, I also do the um, examine, and I also try to do the daily readings. And and I know you're supposed to have a holy hour, but for me, it's like ten minutes here, ten minutes there. That's just we're just busy people, you know. Well, I do the same thing, uh, Chris. It's uh, mm-hmm. I'm part of the ex. That are you in the Exodus group at all? The Exodus thing? No. What no. is that? What is the Exodus group? Oh, it's called Exodus ninety. So basically, it's it has the daily prayers, and it gives you. Uh, things that you're supposed to do, like you do like a couple weeks of a particular thing, whether it's fasting, uh, Fridays or Wednesday, it just depends on which um, one you're going into. But we always have the examine in the evening, which is, I started doing the examine because of Exodus 90. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've really, I really love that. You know, looking at my day, do you do it? I mean, obviously you do it in the evening, right? I mean, I yeah, guess. I do it like right after I put the kids to bed yep. mm-hmm. and then before I walk the dog, because I, yeah. I have a very nice evening where I get everybody to bed. Then I sort of make the lunches for the next day. And then I walk the dog and I listen to a podcast or something like that. And, oh, uh, man, that sounds so awesome. Yeah, that's um, great. Yeah, I do the same thing. In the, well, I don't have kids, unfortunately, uh, but uh, maybe one day that'd be great. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, in the evening I do the same thing. I think about it. I'm like, oh boy, did I fail on that? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. You know what? And I think like that's when prayer is super important because we like we mess up all the time, and whatever yes. it is you're struggling with, as soon as you slip on that that thing that's been bothering you, that's when you feel the most distant. And that's a really good time to pray. I find it's like, oh, you know, because it's not we're we're always gonna fall. We just have to get we back are. up. Yeah, you know, and the prayer, my prayer life. It really has made me, I, I, I hope, more humble. Mm. Um, looking at my flaws and just, you know, I don't want to beat myself up too much all the time here, but you know, to, to know that it's like I'm planning on going to confession today. You know, mm-hmm. I know Christ will always forgive me for what I what I do. I try to do better all the time, 
you know, but I think my, my prayer life definitely, it keeps me honest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, then, then let's talk about these two movies. Uh, yeah. So I, I watched the Scarlet and the Black because you recommended it, uh, in, <laughs> yeah. in your column. I'd never seen it before. The other movie you recommended is, um, A Man for All Seasons, which I haven't seen in many years, but I knew it. But, um, and then, uh, you kindly agreed to come and talk, talk that movie over with me. Uh, and then we'll also talk about Silence, which yeah. I saw earlier earlier this year and then talked about it with one of the advisors to Scorsese, whose name was Makoto Fujimura, um, all about that and the book it's based on. So I listened to that. Oh, good. It was really, really good. Um, very enjoyable. I learned a lot from that, from your podcast there too. And um, Shusaku Endo, right? Right. Who is the author. I just got the book here a couple of weeks ago. So I wanted to read it and man, what, a, what an amazing book, but I got to give Scorsese major props here. Mm-hmm. You know, I know we always have these talks like, Oh, the book or the movie was not nearly as good as the book. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I really think this is, you know, one of those films that really yeah. mirrors the book. It's so beautiful. It's, he, did, he did such a good job. And, you know, I in that Japanese that. style, like the Kurosawa movies, mm-hmm. where the fog or the wind yep. or the rain is really playing in every frame, he has that. And it's 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 gorgeously filmed, and there's so much going on. In um, I, I, sh- I should look up how much it costs, because he <laughs> yeah. built, you know, he built 17th century Japan um, and, and filmed it. Yeah, that's a good point, too. This is 17th century Japan. Um, I also got the the Audible. I was listening to it while I was driving. And so it's an eight-hour – it's about an eight-hour book, which he condensed into well, – the film is roughly three hours, so it is a long film. Yeah, that's true. Um, and you know, for those out there who don't want to sit that long, I think this is still a perfect film that you don't have to watch all the way through, but you could definitely – do it in two parts you know what i mean right or or you know 45 minutes at a time for a week yeah it's, uh, yeah totally it's, uh, okay so this movie costs 50 40 to 50 million dollars <laughs> and it yeah. didn't do i'm surprised it only made 23.8 million so this was a budget mm. he lost money on it um so it really is yeah. a just it wasn't uh it wasn't a commercial success at all he just made it out of out of love, I think, and out of uh, devotion. Um, I, yeah, I, I read about him saying that it was a passion project for him, and it took him a couple decades to really get the project off the ground. So, um, yeah, man, it, but I, it's beautiful. The film yeah. is, is – apart from the cinematography, which in and itself is just wow, like you said with the, the smoke and um, emulating those – earlier Japanese films. Gosh. Yeah. It's just great. And the story really hit the, the, the important parts, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So like you were saying, we are, and I think this is a problem for us. We're lukewarm. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to be uh, a Catholic or a Christian in the United States. It doesn't cost you anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in, in both of these movies, there's a theme where the price is very high for doing the right thing. Um, and so here we have uh, Japanese people who, with very little, and this is historical, this is what actually happened, with very yeah. little time, you know, became quite devoted, and then they were persecuted for it, and, and often paid with their lives in, in martyrdom. Um, and their, their faith um, 
is it becomes an inspiration for these two for these two priests. One thing I would like to say that I just found interesting about the story when I first saw it when it came out. What year did it come out, Chris? Twenty sixteen. It's twenty sixteen. About six years old. I was not familiar with the Japanese persecution in this. 16th century or 17th century Japan, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, essentially, from what I researched, St. Xavier is the first Jesuit to get out there in the 16th century in Japan, right? And it's actually doing okay. Is this, this, is, this is what I've uh, gathered my information on. It's not till later that the uh, Shogun, which I believe in, in the late 16th century kind of takes over and really wants to crush... <laughs> The Christian, yes. Well, here I can help because I'm a historian. Yeah, great. Oh man, <laughs> so please go for it. I love it. Period of warring states, uh, yeah. where many different, um, you know, uh, warlords, shall we say, vie for power, and one comes out on top, and he is, his name is Tokugawa, and Tokugawa Ieyasu is the first of these shoguns. He's uh, who who rules the whole country. The emperor sort of becomes a figurehead um, in the background, and he starts right in 1600. So it's very easy to. To remember that so right in 1600 he takes over japan and he closes the country and he says no more foreign influence we're going to keep things the way they are we don't need anything from these outsiders and i guess this is his grandson or whoever is the third guy um, after him who says no more christianity so the film really asks a lot of difficult questions to me you know i think for one, I love the history. I, I never realized the film. Okay, you. This is what you would call like a historical fiction. I was talking to my brother about this, where although there may be certain characters that might not be uh, completely historically true, like uh, Kichiro, Kichijiro. <laughs> yeah, Kichijiro. Kichijiro. Is, yes, he's my favorite character by far in this because he's he's us, right? He's the yes. So Kichijiro is this, he becomes their guide. They find him drunk in some bar in Macau <laughs> or wherever they're coming from, yeah. in, you know, in, um, where Port, the Portuguese have a foothold somewhere in China. I think it's Macau. And he leads them back to Japan by ship. He's sort of their navigator, and he shows them where there's a, a Christian village. Um, but over, as, as they're going through this adventure, he betrays them a number of times. He... The, the way you show your loyalty to the shogun and um, reject Christianity is you have to trample an icon. You have to trample an, a, a holy image called a fumie. And so he does this. He's done it before. He does it a number of times. He's always, you know, his family refused to do it and they, and they were killed. And he has done it a number of times. But he, every time he comes back, he wants to give his confession and he wants to come back. And, um, and so he sort of, through this, through this weakness and repentance, he perseveres to the end of the movie. And he, he, uh, how does it end? He has, he, he, he's, he's still, you know, even when, even when the priest remains in Japan as a lay, you know, a laicized yeah. uh, uh, Japanese who is now seeking for, like, rooting out Christian symbols yeah. from Japan. Like, he totally. I mean, you know, from the outside, he's completely uh, rejected his religion. But on the inside, they, those two guys keep it going. <laughs> yeah, they do. Yeah. I, I, I really love that. I mean, I see, I think we all see some of ourselves in Kichijiro, right? Mm-hmm. At least I saw. And I struggle with that character at times, you know. 
Bishop Aaron spoke about this film too. I don't know if, if you watched. Oh it. no, I didn't watch it. What did Bishop Aaron say? I mean, for one, I, I it was it was beautiful what he said, brilliant. And I think one of the things he was talking about was it's really easy on film <laughs> to look at something and say, ah, oh, yeah, how dare you not? How dare you step on the face? But you know, when you have death, real death facing you, I mean, look what. Like he he had said, the real heroes of this film are the lay people. Yeah, and I really agree with that. I mean, I, there's there's so much character we could do character analysis on everybody, right? In this right. film, uh, uh, Father Ferreira, who's you know why they are there in the first place, right? I think you should you should explain that we follow two Jesuits, um, yeah, Rodriguez and uh, Garpe. Yes, uh, Garupe, and they are looking for their mentor, Father Ferreira, who they have yeah. heard has apostatized, yeah. uh, and um, they they don't believe it, of course. He, <laughs> yeah, Father Ferreira is Liam Neeson, uh, and he is uh, he has apostatized, of course, and he's he's trying to, uh, and he I think he really defends that decision to the younger priests. He, it, you know, he's not faking it, or he's not conflicted. He's like, nah, Japan doesn't understand our faith, and yeah, and right. So that's a big disappointment. Okay, so they find for what well, you were saying. I think they find well, for, uh, right? They're they're seeking him, but you know, I was talking to my brother about this too, and we were talking about martyrs. You know, how difficult. Which is this, this is really in line with what Bishop Barron is saying about maybe not everybody is meant to martyr for the faith, though. You know, it's really difficult to say. Like, would I be Kichijiro? <laughs> I don't know if I could have gone on the cross like some of those uh, Japanese laymen who died under water slowly. I mean, this is an extreme persecution that, let's just be honest, it's scary. Yeah. You know? So. Right. And then who knows what you'll do, right? I, 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 I that's, was, uh... that's what Baron's saying. It's like, hey, <laughs> when the rubber meets the road. <laughs> yeah. It's like when I was uh, we we just went camping this week and we we went out into the desert um, on the on the Colorado River between Arizona and Nevada. And on one of the days we passed by the Hoover Dam and there's this really beautiful bridge called the Tillman and McCallahan Bridge that goes over the Hoover Dam. And it's really high above the river. And I, I felt I, I had no problem crossing it. But then I sort of imagined what if there were no railing or what if I had been close to the edge? Like I could feel my body. I could feel fear in my body in a way that wasn't in my mind. And I, I could imagine like, like I saw a woman, um, uh, a Japanese woman, a tourist, uh, she couldn't move, uh, you know, like her, her younger friend or daughter or niece or whoever was trying to help her walk and she couldn't, she was paralyzed with fear, you know? Um, and like, who knows? Like what, it, I don't know if yeah. you've seen the, um, Saving Private Ryan, have you seen that one? Oh yeah, yeah. So Spielberg, right? And there's a, there's a character who we sort of like, and like at the end, he there's a battle, and he's just paralyzed with fear. He can't he can't he can't move to rush to help his friends. How do I know I'm not that guy? Like I've never been tested in such a way. What if yeah. what if I'm the guy who just can't move or can't, you know? And again, I think this is what the brilliance of the story of silence, which of course has historical roots into this, as you pointed out, what happened in Japan. Mm -hmm. I mean, I look at Father Rodriguez, another character, it's like, I see a little bit of myself in all of these people. That's why I think that's, I'm not surprised, by the way, that the film did not do well. It yeah, is, it's long. It's Catholic. It's long. 
you do kind of have to have a disposition for it. Yeah, it's a movie that's like it's yeah. You're having a conversation with you. You know, yeah. This isn't you know if you want action packed, you know. No, this is a story, but this is a story of depth. It's got so much heart in that film, you know. Yeah. I, I, um, by, by the way, I I didn't watch. I realized there was. This is the third remake. Did you know that? No, I I didn't even know it was the second remake until you told me. Yeah. Well, I <laughs> I, I started to watch the Japanese one um, from the seventies from the seventies. It's 1971 actually. And I love their intro, which is very similar to the book, which I think in the book it gives like kind of what you were doing, a wonderful historical synopsis there before the book gets started, which I really love when they do that. Right. It makes you understand what we're getting into here. You know, time yeah. period. It's like, Oh, so this really happened. Like the Japanese were really, persecuting the christians at this time i've never heard this <laughs> yeah yeah uh, but yeah but there's a portuguese remake as well oh wow yeah i think it's before i think it's i, I don't know i don't want to say the date but i i'm pretty sure it's well maybe i haven't flipped but i think it's before the 70s one yeah so and in, in this movie in the scorsese one everything that's in portuguese is in english yes right? so so the when we hear English, we're, we imagine it's Portuguese, and of course, Japanese is Japanese. Um, the villains in this movie are remarkable because they are so smooth, <laughs> and they understand the the Portuguese Christians way better than these two Jesuits understand Japan. <laughs> and they speak yeah. really good English. I mean, they speak really good Portuguese, which is portrayed as English. And they're sort of suave and... Um, that's got to be how the devil works, right? He can't be too, he has to be, he has to, he has to uh, whisper, right? He has to, the accuser has to, you know, like, sow doubts and um, like, why, why are you doing this? Why are you even, just relax. Yeah, you're you're 100% right. It's like the devil who, you know, can manifest in things that we hear in, in, in our planet knows the Bible very well too. So, you know, those guys knew the Christian doctrine very, very well. Yeah. You know, which is to your point. Yeah. So the main villain is the inquisitor. Yeah. Uh, who's this old, <laughs> old man and weirdly smiley, like, like <laughs> yeah. disturbingly <Such> smiley. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And then he has this assistant who's called the interpreter. Uh, and that guy's just even more masterful in his arguments and certainly in his language. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Those guys. <laughs> yeah. This is where it gets kind of fun in some ways for film, film wise, you know, these uh, antagonists and everything. Wow. It's right. And so we live in a society where there's no price for our faith. Um, I was talking to a guy in Pakistan uh, some months ago and he was saying like, no, we have, we have Islamic anti-blasphemy laws where people, people get arrested or there there's real persecution for being a for being a christian and of course there's parts of the world where you get your head cut off for for being a christian or yeah. or enslaved and, and things like that places controlled by i don't know isis or equivalent yeah. uh um groups so we yeah. have this lukewarm problem we we just we do what else shall we say about this because i want to <laughs> contrast it with the other one the lukewarm problem or do you want to go into the scarlet and the black is yeah, let's well let's introduce the Scarlet Black and maybe we can 
because conversely, Scarlet in the Black doesn't. I find I found the 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 characters there to be much more straightforward. I, would you oh, yeah. tell us about it? Because I found out about this movie from you. Yeah. Yes. Um, I watched this movie a few years ago, and then I ended up doing a little research on it as well. So basically, uh, this takes place in uh, 1943, right when the the German army occupies Rome. Mm-hmm. And we have Pope Pius the uh, twelfth here, right? Mm-hmm. That's the Pope at the current time. So the two characters you have there is uh, Monsignor Flaherty, right, which is uh, played by uh, Gregory Peck, mm-hmm. and then um, I guess it's General Kapler, right, who's played by. Uh, he is an SS Obersturmbannführer, which I think is a colonel. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel, right. Okay, yeah. Who kind of heads the occupation of, well, they, they're they trying to occupy Rome, right, here at this particular time. The yeah. war, again, we're in, in 1943. They're, they're really keeping their eyes on the Vatican, and the Vatican, who O'Flaherty is hiding non-Germans, right, which it gets into air the areas, of course, is the, the Jews, Mm-hmm. And P- Polish, because uh, you do see some of the Polish people, I think, are the first people to appear in the film, if I'm not mistaken, that they, you know, they they would hide them and put them in particular houses. Now, I, at first I was like, I had to research a little of this film. Like, just like in Silence, you know, we have a historical fiction film where there are liberties that are taken in yeah. film, as we know. Um but, you know, Monsignor O'Flaherty is definitely a real character. Yep. And as known for really what this is what I think this is a very pro-Catholic film because we get a lot of hardballs thrown at us. So it's good to have a film that's showing that, you know, we were, you know, doing the right things during 1943 as well. I mean, maybe there's some controversy in particular areas with Pope Pius XII and the way he was... I think, you know, from what I've been studying, by the way, on this topic, and I want to hear what you have to say, because you're the the historian, that, you know, sometimes you you don't talk too much, right? But I think the actions in this film really prove um, the love of the Catholic Church and what the Catholic Church is about. Yeah, so yeah, for sure. I totally right. agree. And right. the the conflict of what to do doesn't happen within a person the way it does for Father Rodriguez in Silence. It happens right. between between characters where um, Father or Monsignor of Flaherty is is just a classic Hollywood hero. I'm sure this movie yes. made tons of money because he is you know he knows exactly what he's going to do. He never gives up. He never doubts. He outfoxes the Nazis at every turn. He's a master of disguise. Uh-huh. He's you know he's got to be in his fifties or something. But he's he's a boxer and he can knock yeah. down the Swiss guards while they're practicing. <laughs> you know, and he and he's just so charming and such a you know Hollywood Hollywood hero. He it fits it fits the tropes that we're familiar with in in, in action movies. Whereas Pope Pius the twelfth, he's not sure what to do because he's supposed to be this moral voice, but he's afraid of losing the Vatican and whatever standing he is. He's trying to be a diplomat. Um, and that's, I think that's the question that I think we should hold for both of them. Um, the, there's a moment where, where the Pope has got Monsignor O'Flaherty looking uh, through 
like um, in the basement looking at old art and it's Monsignor O'Flaherty who says like what what are what is our duty when we come face to face with evil right yeah. and for the Pope it's much more complicated for the Monsignor it's very clear because he's hiding these people yeah and the Pope lets him do it right because the Pope could say you must obey and we're not we're not playing this game we're going to be diplomatic and the Nazis are just our occupying force. But he lets him. He lets him do that. I think so. Yeah, I think this is you know, this is a fun film, by the way, too. In many ways, I mean, there's some Hollywood, as you mentioned, there's Hollywood aspects to it, and I believe it's also based off of a, you know, book, which yeah, it must be. It is uh, the name of the book is um, uh, the Scarlet Pimpernel of the Vatican, and as you could tell, it's very much following in the Scarlet Pimpernel kind yeah. of thing, disguises. Um, Right, because the Scarlet Pimpernel uh, was smuggling aristocrats out during the French Revolution, yeah. during the Terror. Right there, you go. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So this is where that story really uh, unites with that that one. Um, I don't want to jump too far to the end, but I will just say I'm going to anyways. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To me, the ending is what is the most breathtaking part of the. I mean, of the film, the most important part of the film. I mean, all this. You know, it, it really talks about the Christian dilemmas, right? I mean, do you remember the end is really where, oh, the truth really comes here. Now, Kapler meets um, O'Flaherty, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm forgetting where they meet. Somewhere, somewhere at night, right? On the somewhere battle in Rome. And I, I want to say that. I think here. the Colosseum, yeah. yeah. And he really, he really asks for forgiveness, right? Mm-hmm. And a Ooh. favor. Whew. <laughs> <laughs> And the yeah. favor. Yes. But to me, you know, and, and Flaherty, who has a little bit of a, a, a hot Irish side of him, <laughs> which, you know, can't believe him. You know? Yeah. It's like, how dare you? You want me to be nice to you now? Yeah. So, so we know, because we're watching it 40 years or 80 years after the event and 40 years after it was made, we know, like, the Germans are not going to stay there very long. It's 1943. Right. right? Patton is already in Sicily, right? The Americans are coming and the Reich is getting rolled up from two from, and the Russians are coming and the, and soon the Americans will be in France and, and all that. So we know like this is a short lived occupation, but yeah. Kapler, I mean, he's interesting because he really believes that he owns Rome. He has this love affair with that city because he saw it when he was young and he always wanted to live there. And he's, you know, he's showing it to his children often like this is this is ours. the The Third Reich will last a thousand years. We own it, um, but that that comes that comes to an end. Yeah, it does. And um, as and and as the Americans are you know coming up the peninsula yeah. or whatever, he has to leave, and he asks. He know he's he knows he's going to be arrested because he he can't evacuate since he's the commanding officer, and he asks Father O'Flaherty to please smuggle out um, his wife and kids to Switzerland. Yeah, which when they're meeting, having that meeting prior. Right in the Colosseum. Mm-hmm. Oh, Flair, you, 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 I didn't really. Maybe I think the first time watching it, I didn't think he would really do that. Right? Yeah, I didn't think it would. I didn't think so either. This um, was my first time watching it. Yeah, and you know, then you see Kapler in in prison, who ends up being in prison for the rest of his life. There's a very interesting part. I love this this part of the story. If you remember. And you read at the end, it talks about how Kapler converted to Catholicism, yeah. right? And part of the reason that is, 
is for what O'Flaherty did, right? Yeah. It, it really, and it, this reminds me of the shooting that type took place to JP two, and how he forgave, you know, his shooter that tried to assassinate him, right? Eighties, mm-hmm. and John Paul used to visit him in prison. Correct? <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. That guy has also converted to Catholicism. I did not know that. Yeah, and as a matter of fact, I've stayed up on this for years. He's wanting to become a priest. I don't wow. know. Where, I don't know where this is at right now, but I believe he has finally been let out of prison. So, through the miracle of the internet, his name is Mehmed Ali Adja, maybe. Yeah, uh, yeah he's a, a he's a Turkish assassin. He yep. converted to the Roman Catholic Church on May thirteenth, two thousand seven. May thirteenth, I believe, is the day he shot. Yeah, the Pope. Right. That is the that is the feast of. Um, Fatima, right? Which is why yeah. the bullet is now in the crown of that little statue in Fatima. Yeah. Right. They they put that there. Um isn't that isn't that inspiring? Yeah. He he the the assassin arrived in the Vatican City in twenty fourteen to lay flowers on the canonized John Paul II's tomb. That's amazing. I did not know that. Yeah. That's what, when I, when I saw the story, when I, that's why I really, and this was before I even wrote that little, you know, small piece that I did very earlier on just on, you know, this film, the Scarlet and the Black, which that title, I'm still a little confused about. There's some, who's the Scarlet, who's the Black? Well, I think they're, so um, they're both, right? Cause, cause the Monsignor wears Scarlet and Black and yeah. the Nazis, the SS wear Scarlet and Black. And so, yeah. Right, and that's the famous line by um, Solzhenitsyn that the the line of good and evil runs through the center of every heart. Like oh. we are all the scarlet, we are all the black, um, which I think is what silence does. And this movie sort of, like, if there's one character who actually changes, it's Kapler, right? He he becomes a Catholic at the end. He asks for mercy and pardon. Um, I, it's that guy because he's so abusive. He's so possessive. Yes. He's you know. The, the idea that you own a city, uh, you treat it like you're like, like, and he, there's a moment where he's like the pressures on him to find who, where are these Catholics hiding the Jews? Where are these Catholics hiding the POWs? Um, like he would fly into a rage and he'd yell at his children. He has a very abusive kind of streak in him, you know, oh, like, yeah. most definitely. Um, and that, that I found, I found Christopher Plummer. I mean, is, he did such a great job, but that, I think that's the moral: is we are all we're all Christopher Plummer, we're all Nazis, but we can all <laughs> yes. be we can all be we can all be Monsignor O'Flaherty. We can. I think that's a real, you know, hard topic to understand. I mean, you know, we all have the potential, you know, to well, free will, right? Yeah, to be evil, to be on that side. Um, Right. So but, what's the difference between Judas and St. Peter, right? <laughs> Judas right. betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Peter betrays Jesus three times, but one of them hangs himself and the other one, you know, weeps and then becomes the Pope. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Back to the silent film yeah. too, right? Um, Kishijiro yeah. really plays Judas too there too. He sells, he sells out, um, uh, Father Rodriguez. You're to, right, uh, right for three hundred, whatever three hundred. Yeah, remember coins. when they, he gives him the money? And he, yeah. I don't want the money. Um, 
so I think, oh gosh, it's, I don't know if I should say this, but I think we can all, we can all be Judas at times, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I totally think I, I, you know, I don't think Judas needed to be, I think there was a way out for Judas too, for all of us, no matter what we do. That's just like this Turkish assassin or would be assassin. Well, I mean, because because Jesus forgives us. I mean, he, you know, when our heart really repents, I mean, that's the thing. He never wants to see us, uh, you know, for one, commit suicide. Yes, that's right. I mean, there was an interesting uh, phone call. I think I was listening to Relevant Radio not too long ago, and there was a priest on there, and someone called in and said, well, is Hitler in hell? And I believe the church's teaching is, well, we just don't know. Now, yeah. I'm not going to go down this other road where we don't believe in hell because we do. You know, mm-hmm. we're supposed to believe in hell. That's the okay. This is a, a the, the the very modern thing of no hell existing is well. That's just another topic for another day. <laughs> yeah. But the caller was like, well, the priest was like, and to answer the question about Hitler, well, Jesus really doesn't want any anybody to go there, right? Right. I mean, let's hope he's not. Let's hope that after that he did, you know, seek seek Christ. I, I don't think we want any of our brothers to go through the, that torment, right? At no. all, right? Uh, and horrible. there's always there's always repentance. There's always yep. forgiveness. There's a a saint. I don't know if you know her, Maria Teresa Goretti. Um, yeah, yes. Yeah. There, she was she was like she was attacked by a guy um, and then stabbed 14 times and um, taken to the hospital and she died forgiving this guy who who, who attacked her and this fellow went to uh, jail for 27 years and then after 27 years he saw a vision of her and um, and that forgiveness and he became uh, a friar a Franciscan <laughs> friar wow um, wow name was Alessandro Serenelli. This is back in the, he died in, he died in 1970. And this whole thing happened at the turn of the century. So this is a, it, this happens often. It does. <laughs> I mean, it happened, but you know, I don't have anything as dramatic like that, but my conversion too, back to Catholicism, I was, I was very lukewarm going back on the topic of lukewarm for so many years in Los Angeles when I, where I lived and did music and you know, I'm just glad that God never gave up on me. Yeah. You know. Amen. So how old were you when you converted to Catholicism? Well, I had like never... Reverted, I should say. Yeah, I should say reverted. Um, so I'd say it was about eight years ago. So I was like 40, 39. Mm-hmm. And... I just saw so much, you know, I think like many people, you're going to go two ways and I'm not trying to disc California here. Okay. You know, from my Californians. Out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But there is some elements to certain things. It's very self-centered, at least in the, the, the area I was at very, very narcissist, cystic. Um, and it's, you know, it's just not really, you can see even with the Hollywood stars, which is mm-hmm. kind of a little bit true. It's like you got guys like Mark Wahlberg now who are coming forward much later in his career, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he couldn't have did that early on. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Right. No, it's right. Especially LA where you were and everything is expensive yeah. and everybody's beautiful and they all spend oh, all yeah. this time, you know, keeping up appearances and um, following the latest trend. And there, that's, I think that's anywhere where there, where there's a lot of wealth. <laughs> um, and, and I wasn't happy during those times. Yeah. The truth is, is like, like many musicians, I know this and <laughs> a lot of artists, they're always, oh, I have to, I have to be famous or I have to put my name on this, you know. I went through that for many years, feeling like I had to, you know, have a name and all this stuff. And once I really just surrendered again to to God and didn't really care about so much of the the worldly rewards, I saw that my soul and the people around me is much more important. You know, you know, yeah. These these are bigger issues than the cars and the money. Yeah, and the fame. You know, right? Well, we don't want to give up on people that are. You know, might be in this lifestyle, though, as we've just discussed with all these characters, right? Yeah, and I also think this, for me also, this is a, is a more reflective season. I'm also in my 40s. You know, I think when you're younger, you're still you're still <laughs> playing that game. You're, you're in the world, you're chasing its prizes. And as you yeah. get a little older, you're like, huh, well, maybe that's not going to work out. <laughs> or, I'm, <laughs> you know, I, I tried to do this, and what is it all about? It's can't be these things because these things even if you achieve them they are ephemeral or they yeah. slip through your fingers or there's always something else you want to get next um, and i think i could have probably done that a little younger in my life had i been you know guided a little differently i mean i i don't think there's anything wrong with you know having a good business for instance and being successful but as we said at the top of this program if god is not at the top of this I, there's just it, it lacks very much, you know, to me, and to many, and and to most of my my Catholic friends that I know, right? The lukewarm, you know, you can't really serve two masters here, can you? That's right, that's right. And Bishop Barron says this all the time, right? It's like the yeah. Bob Dylan song: "You're going to serve somebody, you're going to serve somebody, uh, yeah. even if you're, you know, even if you think this is your great idea that you're going to chase this dream and be successful in X, Y, or Z." You're still you're still serving somebody. So there's no perfect master. Every master is not interested <laughs> in your well-being, except for one. <laughs> and, and and me serving God now helps my decisions. Helps me make better decisions. Doesn't mean, as you know, and all Catholics know, of this. There's trials. There's there's hard times. You know, but it really makes it a lot easier, a lot more peaceful. You know, with my decision making. You know. Having a prayer life, praying ceasefully, as we talked about, looking at quality films, you know, my brother was just telling me, it's like, gosh, you know, it's almost like food, what you put into your, your body, what are you waking up in the morning doing? What are you looking at first thing of the day? Are you looking in the news and absorbing that? I'm not saying this or that about what you should be doing to anybody, but... I think there is a lot of garbage we have to be careful of, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of, but if we want to use the analogy of food here, you know, are we going to eat junk food? Are we going to put good food into our body? That's why I like this this film Silence so much. Yeah, that is food for the the soul through entertainment of, of film media, which, as we know, is extremely toxic these days. 
Yeah, that's true. It'll it'll sell you some false gods <laughs> for sure. Yeah, they're peddling at every turn anti-Christian, you know, <clears throat> things on. You know, just turn the TV right now, you'll find it. <laughs> yeah. So it's nice to it's nice to find something that you know is makes you feel good after you watch it, even though it's a both of these films can be sad. It I think happy and sad. Wouldn't you say? I, I agree. Um, this, and the scar on the black is a. I wonder if it was like over several nights, you know, because it's it was made for television. This is back when <laughs> some movies was. were, yeah. you know, like what's the other one? Right at that time, um, Jesus of Nazareth, right by uh, Franco Zeffirelli, a, oh. a supremely beautiful movie, but also made for television. And it, you know, you would sort of watch it over over a, a, a bunch of nights. And this is back when people would watch. You know, the same, it wasn't, not everything was streaming. Everybody would sit down at 8 p.m. and yeah, watch the same thing right. and then talk about it the next day. <laughs> and so the Scar on the Black is, is made to appeal to a very broad audience. It has a lot of familiar yeah. actors. Yes. Um, the the other Nazi who's there with Christopher Plummer is a Bond villain. He, I think he's General Gogol from a couple of the movies also back at exactly that time. There's another Nazi in there who, who plays a Nazi in um, Indiana Jones Part 3. Um, oh, wow. So there's like you, there's a lot of faces, and you'd be like, oh, I've I've seen that guy, I've seen that guy, um, the the young uh, airman, the young American who who falls in love with the Italian girl, he plays uh, Felix Leiter in a different Bond movie. So, Did all, he? I, oh my gosh, yeah, he was in Living Daylights, the Timothy Dalton one. So I, I kept seeing I, oh, these people. I love like, I love that one. I love that one. That's my favorite too. And even though. I, I, People don't like Timothy Dalton so well. Oh my That's gosh. my favorite story. I met Timothy uh, in, in in California. He was actually in the music scene when I was uh, in a band. The uh, lead singer knew him pretty well. He actually came. He actually was at my house. That's fantastic. And he drove a, a Saab, I believe. <laughs> he wasn't any rolling up in any big kind of car. Just he liked a very simple Saab, and he was very, he was very nice. Yeah. I, I I really like him. And I told and I told uh, my friend I was like, oh, that's like he's my favorite Bond, and she's like, really? Yeah, he's he only had two of them, and they're not the ones people remember. But that one is is my favorite, and he, that's yeah. so that's Felix Leiter, the guy on the boat, um, and who like pulls up in the convertible and oh, um, Bond jumps wow. in. That that's the young American airman who is hiding with with Juliana. Um, I think her name is Juliana in her apartment and her beautiful daughter, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I would have married her too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> if she would have me. But. Yeah. And, and, then, <laughs> and then I think the the strangest casting choice is that Christopher Plummer is a Nazi right after he played a Nazi in The Sound of Music. And not only that, but his daughter is Liesl in this movie and his daughter is Liesl in The Sound of Music. Right. And I, so I, and didn't that, even put, I didn't even put that together. Here I am flipping the names around. Yeah. So, no, but it like. And and then in the sound of music, of course, he and Julie Andrews escape to Switzerland from Austria from the Nazis. And here, his family escapes to Switzerland as Nazis from the Americans. <laughs> so there's such a that, and I I don't even know why they did that except for that it must have actually happened, and this is supposed to be a historical picture. So yeah. they probably would have loved to name that kid something other than Liesel, but because her name was probably Liesel, they had to do it. My gosh, that's really interesting. Um, I don't remember this. I remember a lot of films growing up, by the way, that were on TV. Mm-hmm. But and it sounds like me, you didn't either. I don't remember this being a big deal because it was 1983, right? Yeah, I was too young. I was, you know, I was six. 
Okay, yeah. I, I, I just, I'm a little older than you, so yeah, I don't remember. I certainly don't remember this. I remember like <laughs> Shogun being on. Uh, remember this one? Yeah, same idea, right? Yeah, it was uh, the TV nights where it would break up. And my, oh gosh, I remember my mom and dad were, you know, my parents were really loved that one. That was a four part movie or something like that. Right. Christopher <laughs> Plummer was also Herod Antipas in the Zeffirelli Jesus of Nazareth, um, who beheads John the Baptist. So he's, really? Oh, yeah. I, I don't remember this. I'm going to have to go back and watch that now. Plummer's then, one, of my, one of my favorites. Yeah. there And then there is. Uh, um, uh, an actor here who I've who uh, who plays Father Vittorio, who you know um, Monsignor O'Flaherty visits in disguise, and and that actor plays Pope John Paul the First in Godfather Part Three. <laughs> so I've oh. only seen this actor as a cleric in the Vatican in two different movies from the eighties. Um, so there's just a lot of familiar faces. I think it was a time when Hollywood stars made just movies and they could be on TV and that was, and that was fine. I don't think it was a, a step back for any of these. And remind me again, who, who played the Pope? Um, that's John Gilgood and John oh, Gilgood. Uh, we should talk about him. I know we've been talking for an hour, but we should. Like, so John Gilgood is for me, he's a Shakespearean actor whom I mostly see every once in a while in like a BBC production of some Shakespeare play. I don't know what his big roles are, but he is, you know, distant, very philosophical and cerebral and you can I think he does a really good job of of that of of the con, uh, the interior conflict what do you do as the pope are you trying to keep this boat steady through the politics of the day or you, or you, or you say no these nazis are something different and I'm very happy to you know like Jesus I will sacrifice the body um yeah. because it's the right thing to do uh, John Gilgood, I, I, he's just, I'm just going to say one of the best actors, you know, I love the way he plays this, this, you know, Pope Pius XII here. Yeah. And the real Pope Pius XII was a Pope who comes from a, he was, he was almost, you know, groomed for it. He's from one of these old clerical families, uh, in the Vatican. He, he was, I think the secretary of state for the Vatican or something like that, something very diplomatic for a long time. Um, yeah. he, uh, and it wasn't a surprise that he was elected Pope and he, he had this long, long view from that Italian tradition. Whereas looking as an outsider, I'd be like, of course, you're going to tell the Nazis where, what they can, what they can do with their, with their rules, you know, but, uh, again, who knows what you would do, uh, how beautiful would it have been if he could have done that, but w what if, right? What if the Nazis won that war and he is it better to have the Catholic church going, you know, in 10 years in 20 years in a hundred years, or is it better to say, no, this is evil. This is yeah. evil. And I'm not going to play. I'll have to watch that. Uh, there was that Pope, that Pope Pius the 12th uh, film. Yeah, I believe it's 2010. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it. It's, it's on that, that, mm, that no. station formed. Uh, James Cromwell plays Pius the 12th. So interesting. Worth, yeah. Worth looking. We may have to do that. Yeah. The future, huh? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I think I think we should next time, you know, in, in, in a couple of months, we should take up um, the other one you suggested, which was uh, A Man for All Seasons, if oh, you're down wow. for that. Yeah. And one of my very favorite movies is um, The Mission. 
Oh, yeah. Well, there we go. Similar to the uh, silence thing here, right? Jesuit missionaries. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm down. Yeah, we should do it. Perfect. Well, then let's... Uh... It's it's what is it now? It's November. Let's let's reconvene in February and okay and do it again. That sounds great. I appreciate it, Chris. Yeah, I I'm so I'm so pleased. First of all, thank you so much for Misio Day and all your writings. Thank they, you. They've yeah. been terrific, and uh, I'm I'm just delighted to make your acquaintance. <laughs> we do have an, on Misio Day too a book that's coming out on the uh, Eucharistic revival. Uh, you can go to the website, check it out. We're still. Raising a little money. We're actually getting that book edited right now. And um, yeah, I love the writers that we have there. I uh, just want to say thank you to those guys. They're doing a great job over there. Philip, who I met at Holy Apostles, we decided to perform this together. and We've been um, really getting a lot of good feedback. And yeah, really growing. it's a beautiful journal. And it Thanks. appears it appears in your email. And I recommend everybody <laughs> yeah. subscribe to it. I'll link below. In the thank you. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I, I, I just say thank you so much. And w- would you like to close with, with a blessing? Uh, yeah. Should we, is it okay to close with a prayer? Yes, absolutely. Okay, great. I, you know, I, lately the St. Michael prayer has been on my heart a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think just with a lot of things that are going on in the world, I think this prayer is still very, uh, very important. So I'll put that in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> St. Michael, the Archangel. Defend us in battle. Be our defense against the weakness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits prowl on the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Amen. Nails, spear shall pierce him through the cross. Be born for me, for you, and hail. the babe, the son of Mary. Chris Odinius and Jonathan Fessenden recorded this conversation on November 16, 2022, the feast day of St. Gertrude the Great, 13th century Benedictine nun, visionary mystic, and brilliant theologian. She practiced and contributed to nuptial mysticism, seeing not only the church, but also celibate women religious as brides of Christ. Our music comes from Josh and Margot of the Great Space Coaster Band, www.gscoasterband.com. Today, after Josh and Margot's What Child Is This?, I will also play Elysium, composed by Jonathan Fessenden, the Catholic artist I was just talking to. Our logo, the Dominican dog carrying the torch, comes from the website of the Dominican Friars of England, Scotland, and Wales, www.english.op.org. I'm Chris Odinitz. Talk to you soon. This, this is Christ the King whom shepherds God and angels sing.